there, and welcome to Homeschoolhood, the show and community where we talk about all things education and parenthood and the beautiful mess where they intersect homeschool. I'm Erica Ladd, former public school teacher and parent turned homeschool mom to my two elementary age daughters. I never thought we'd homeschool, but we tried it during the pandemic and haven't looked back. Whether you homeschool or not, my hope is that you find encouragement, practical ideas, and some real talk about raising and educating tiny humans here on Homeschoolhood. Good day to you. This episode, we're going to get into the nitty gritty of how in the world I even approach planning out the homeschool year. Um, I think this is overwhelming for a lot of people, and we'll chat about how I know what to teach and when, how I decide on curriculum, how I keep track of everything along the way from like a bird's eye view. So if you are new to the podcast and maybe new to homeschooling, before we get in, I do have a previous episode that goes into choosing curriculum specifically for newbies to homeschooling, Um, and I'll link that that episode in the show notes, and it is titled Curriculum for Newbies. And you might find that helpful if you need even more on that and what goes into deciding on a curriculum after this episode. The first thing I want to say is that if you are new to homeschooling, this process likely feels very overwhelming, but that's okay. And it gets easier. So your biggest goal for your first year, it's okay for it to be basically like de-schooling yourself and your kids. And, and what I mean by that is transitioning from the mindset of traditional school and realizing that homeschool is more than just doing school just like it's done in the classroom at home. They're very different environments. So it takes a while to kind of make that transition, especially if you yourself were not homeschooled. Um, and then it's okay for this first year to be kind of figuring out where they are. I mean, I was a teacher and I thought I had a pretty good grip on where my kids were academically. And the mess that was the school year of the pandemic threw that for a loop. Everything got kind of upended, right? So it took us a while even for me to figure out where exactly my kids were. But once you've taught them for a year, you'll have so much more information going into planning for the following year. And some things will just become very obvious. So you'll, you know, you'll see where they're at in their math. They get a math that's working for them and you just move on to the next one. So some of the guesswork is taken out of it the further you get into it and you get in a, you know, in a rhythm, you get to know your kids, you get on a track with certain curriculum and then you know where you're at. So I like to think of the planning process like a big funnel. So we're going to start with the broadest, biggest ideas, broadest timeline, and then narrow it down from there to the details. So number one, just begin at the beginning. Again, if you're new to homeschool, this for you means making sure you understand your state homeschooling laws, which really do vary quite a bit in terms of what you're required to teach, how often how you're supposed to keep records of what you're teaching, and then pair that with what's important to you in terms of how your kids learn best, your educational philosophy and interests, or even your logistical and scheduling considerations. You know, are you having grandma help you with homeschooling a couple days a week? Do you still need to work part-time? All those kinds of things to take into consideration. And the beauty of homeschool is you get to do that. You get to make room for all of those things. But first things first, make sure you understand what it is legally even that you're required to teach. If you have homeschooled before, those things are a lot easier or already pretty well established, but this year may be different. Maybe you live in a different state. 
Um, maybe the year is going to look different in terms of the time you have or a health concern or other activities that you have going on. Maybe you have a new baby this year. Maybe you're going to be traveling a lot and you're doing school on the road. So those are all some things to just kind of broadly think about first before you purchase one single piece of a curriculum. And then know what you have. Go through your homeschool space. Make sure you get rid of things that you're not using anymore. Make sure you dig out those things that you bought for someday and totally forgot about. Know what you have and where you are in your current curriculum and supplies before deciding where you're heading. Something else I started this year that has really helped me get my head around planning is I started a document. It's just a Google Doc, but you could use a spreadsheet if you're a spreadsheet kind of person. And I just call it the big picture. Um, we're going to keep homeschooling as long as it keeps working. So that means I kind of need to start thinking about, you know, middle school and high school and making sure we are spacing things out in a way that helps us cover what we need to cover, meet graduation requirements. If, if that's the road we continue on, um, and setting us up for that option. So I started a document and literally titled it big picture (laughs) where I am sketching out which topics I might cover, which years. Um, And then I plan back from there. This has been really helpful as we're getting into like, okay, the high school requirements they need, you know, algebra, geometry, and one more math. So how do I need to make sure that they're ready for algebra in middle school? Okay, then what does that look like right now in fourth and fifth grade? So having the big picture in mind has really helped me get my head around um, what we're looking at for each year and helps me decide on kind of the general direction and then the details from there. And that can change. That is a very loose, flexible plan, but it really, really helps to have all of that down somewhere and not just swimming around in your brain. Like, Ooh, I think they're going to need chemistry. I don't, you know, just get it all down on paper somewhere. My next step for planning is to evaluate what's working and what's not. And again, this mostly applies to if you have homeschooled at least one year in the past. So um, from that, deciding on some goals or overarching things that you want to focus on for the year or need to focus on for the year. What do you want to keep? Because it's working great. What do you want to change? Is there something that maybe needs a little supplement added to it to round it out or make it more interesting for your kiddo or more... Um, applicable for their learning style. For example, after my first year and the first semester of the second year, it became really clear that we needed something meatier and more explicit for writing. And also, it was very clear that writing seemed to be causing a lot of friction between the girls and me. I love writing and I'm very passionate about it. And I think sometimes that comes across intimidating or pressuring. And I I really wanted to find a different way to approach writing so that I was not making my girls hate it. So I focused on writing and adding in um, IEW, the Institute for Excellence in Writing. And the benefit to that was there was video classes. So they're actually kind of being taught, quote unquote, by somebody else. And then I'm really just more the facilitator for writing. And that gives us this buffer where it's not me requiring things of them. It is Mr. Pudwa, the man who teaches it, the creator of the program. And he is hilarious and fun. And I think it is just writing is probably the most challenging thing we ask our kids to do that they can feel a lot of insecurity about. And it's very developmental. And I think that all of that coming from me 
we needed to like put a buffer there. And this is where like homeschool is so different than teaching in a classroom because there's not, it doesn't feel so high stakes with kids and parents. Like the relationship really, um, you know, they want your approval more than anything. And so it causes some strain when they feel like something is challenging for them. So that really helps us just an example. And I know that that works now. So we'll just keep adding that in. We're going to keep working through that program. Um, another example, I noticed that we were very light on geography skills and learning the first two years. And I wanted to incorporate more of that. So I added in a few different um, fun geography pieces for this coming school year. So at this point in the planning process, you really need to step back and say, okay, what needs to go? What can stay? Where do we need to add? What do we need to focus on? And it's okay if you have years where you focused more heavily on math because it was like the big year for multiplication and division facts, right? And some other things went by this by the side. Public school is like that too. Private school is like that too. There's always going to be years where things get weighted a little bit more heavily. As long as you are intentional about making sure to add that back in where you see that something is lacking. Okay, from there, I sit down with a calendar for the entire school year. So something that spans, you know, for this coming school year, 2022 to 2023. And I'm literally figuring out here now the nitty gritty of some days. So I start with how many days do you, I want to do school or am I required to do school? Uh, in Arizona, there's no daily requirement, but a typical school year is 180 days. That's what the public schools do or 36 weeks. Um, a lot of curriculum is based off of that model as well. So I shoot for 180 days. So what I do is I take 180 days and then I divide that by how many months I'll be doing school. So I know for us, we're, we kind of do modified year round. So school is going to go from mid-July to mid-May. So I divide that 180 by the number of months, which is 10, right? Is that 10? <laughs> yeah, I can do math, I promise. Um, and then I know I need about 18 days each month for school. Now, some are going to have more, some are going to have less around the Christmas holidays, things like that. But that way, from there, I take that total number of days per month that I'm aiming for and I put in times on the calendar and block them off that I know we're going to be taking off for, you know, holidays, vacations, things that I know for sure we're taking off. And then I count how many days I have left after that. And if I'm over, I know I have some flexibility. Like when I sat down to do this, I was over and I had like 191 days. So that tells me I have 11 days where I could take a week off if we need to hit a reset. I could take, you know, there's going to be a couple of days that come up here or there that we're not feeling good or whatever it might be, travel. So that you kind of want to have that buffer built in and then you know you can take off whenever you want, which is the lovely thing about homeschool. And obviously if you're under, you can adjust and, you know, take out some plans that you had or maybe extend into the summer a little bit more and make sure that you'll be able to get it all in. But this helps you stay on track. I think it also really shows you how much freedom you do have. It shows you the months that are going to be rough to fit it all in and not to not to stress because maybe the next month you're going to get 23 days and that's okay. Um, I think it's just a really good way to pace yourself throughout the school year and make sure that you're dedicating the time that you need to, make sure you have the time, um, and just to stop and think about that for the whole school year. 
Okay. Then from there in my planner and in most, I think teacher planners, homeschool planners, um, I have used the plum paper homeschool planner and love that one this year. I'm using the school nest planner, but you can get on Amazon, the homeschool planner. And there's a spot where there's kind of, um, all of the months of the school year written down and you can roughly sort of plan out some things. So then I take that and think, okay, write down how many school days I have that month. I will write down how many school days I have that month and then what days I know there's going to be a special event. Maybe their play that they're practicing is going to be a certain day. Um, times that I know are, you know, blocked off for holidays and stuff already. Um, and then I try to think about at least one field trip I could take every month. Um, I look through the curriculum and see if there's a project that's going to kind of be a focus for that month or a theme, like in the springtime, we might do gardening or something like that. I usually pick a read aloud per month. Sometimes that's kind of built into the curriculum. Sometimes I pick something different and then just, yeah, any, any theme that I know I'm going to want to explore, especially if it's involving nature and it's kind of weather dependent, just to kind of think through each month in terms of like, what do we have coming up? Is somebody's birthday this month? Is it May where everything is always cra crazy and, you know, we have graduations, birthdays, Mother's Day, all the things, um, just to kind of get a month by month broad view. Once that is in there, I do also make sure I have then all my curriculum obviously chosen and I have another sheet, um, another just note, a, a document in Google Drive that has listed by subject what our main curriculum is going to be and what the supplements are going to be for that subject. I think of curriculum as a tool and I think you should too. Um, I tend to pick fairly structured curriculums, but then take what I want from them so that the structure is there if I need it, but I also do not um, hold myself to it and stress out if we don't finish. So I like the pacing of like a week to week curriculum but I like it when it's not like day one, you have to do this day two, you have to do this, but more just like, here are the things that we're working on this week, pick and choose from this menu of options. So I find for us that my teaching style, their learning style, um, how flexible I want to be, that works really well. I am a pretty involved homeschool teacher. I don't, I, I don't care as much partly because I only have the two of them and they're, um, so close in age that I, I, I'm very involved all day long. I don't necessarily need them to be super independent with their work in terms of like, I need them to be able to start to finish, do all their own math lesson or teach themselves this grammar concept. Like I don't, I don't think most things at this age are learned well that way. And obviously as they get older, they'll have more involved projects and things that will require some more independent work. But um, it's okay for me if a curriculum is more hands-on on my part and more planning required on my part this time because I don't have four or five kids to teach and, and I can do that. But that goes back to making sure you're honest about your schedule and your setup and your logistics before you choose a curriculum. Okay, so then I find, especially if I have a curriculum that's based kind of on, on a week-by-week um, overview that weekly planning either on the weekend or like the Friday before for the following week works the best for me. And I just have um, a planner that has a two page spread. I write in the plan, you know, what's coming up next, knowing that we won't get to it all. <laughs> um, 
knowing that some weeks I might add things in, but then I just go through and highlight after the fact what we actually did. So I don't stress out if something was written down and planned for, but then not actually gotten to, I will just either move it to the next week, or maybe we got onto a different rabbit trail and I don't need to do that project anymore, whatever it might be. Um, I find that instead of writing it somewhere else, like planning from behind, like people say to write down what you actually did. I need the plan in front of me for the week to just help me get my head around it and make sure I have my copies made, um, you know, any other experiment materials, things like that. But then I can go through and highlight what we actually did. And if we didn't get to it, no big deal. And then daily, on a daily basis, I just kind of have my planner open and I double check it. And I um, write for my girls in their own planner, like a checklist of the actual required things for them. And I've talked about this a little bit before, but this makes such a huge difference because I have, I have one who gets overwhelmed with big chunks of work and I have another one who does not like surprises. <laughs> so this works really well for both of them because they can see okay, yes, I have a test in math, but I'm also, we're going to do an art project later. Or I have this, you know, big chunk to read, but then math is going to be on my iPad later. Whatever that looks like, I think it just really helps them to not all day long be springing more work on them. Even though they expect it with school, there's something psychological about them being able to see what is ahead of them for the day. And if you think about it, adults operate the same way, right? You open up your Google calendar and you want to see what you have for the day. You don't want it to just be constantly surprised by someone walking in the room being like, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. So I don't know why it took me so long to figure this out, but I will sit with my planner then and kind of transcribe into their planner for them at this point. And they'll probably start taking some ownership and doing this on their own to um, what they have to get done for the day. So that's about it. I don't have to turn in any portfolios in my state. I don't have testing that I have to do. I am working on and will keep you posted on um, documenting because I really, it varies wildly by state. Again, what you have to turn in. Um, but for the most part, my girls have one notebook that is like their grade level notebook. So any loose kind of writing or things that would need to be done in a notebook are all kept in the same place. Then they have workbooks for a lot of their subjects that have work text right in there. Um, and then any loose papers or extra things we do, I file in a file folder system by the grade. So we just have it all. And then I have one more bigger one for their art for that grade level. But I really want to start a documentation um, project on Google Drive where I have it broken down by week. I can include pictures in there. I can put some work samples and some art samples in there. And then we have a digital record of everything we've done. And I don't need to keep it all because it's adding up quickly. <laughs> so I'm hoping to get that process started this year. It's just been a little overwhelming as we're figuring this whole thing out. But I think going into our third year here... I can share with you um, how I'm working on that because that is a goal of mine this year. So that is it. I start with the big idea. I start with, hey, what do I need to teach according to law? What is important in which grades? I do look at um, state standards. I look at the book uh, Home Learning Year by Year to make sure we're kind of learning what we need to learn each year. But I don't stress a ton. I want to keep them up with their peers in terms of... Um, you know, if they were to have to go back into the public school or if we decide to do that at some point, that they're not like completely on a different planet. But I also know that a lot of those learning goals are fairly arbitrary and it, it just was necessary to 
write them down and have some benchmarks in the public school setting. So I don't stress if we're like covering something the next year instead of this year or vice versa. So I hope that is helpful. I know it's kind of a broad overview. Um, I think Instagram is a great place for more details in terms of like, hey, look at my plan for the week. So make sure you're following me over there at Lad Erica because I think some of these things are easier to show than to tell about. So follow me over there for some more details. Okay, now it's time for a discipline dilemma. I have to apologize because this is a listener question emailed to me a few months ago by Catherine. And Catherine, I'm so sorry it's taken me so long to respond. I read it and then quickly forgot about it and life moved on as it does. So Catherine writes, my daughter is two and a half and is in general a very easygoing child. She's the kid who will easily pick up gentle parenting practices and say things to her baby brother like, excuse me, I'm using this right now when he tries to take a toy away. I have noticed that in settings with other children, she's sometimes a little bulldozed by those with stronger personalities. For example, kids take toys from her all the time and sometimes hit or push. Normal toddler behavior, nothing extreme. My parenting approach tends to be a little more hands-off and observant unless someone is clearly upset or if they're being physical. Basically, I try to let the kids work it out. However, sometimes she will look at me like, what the heck do I do? Help me when someone is a little too aggressive with her. Do you have any advice about how to ensure my daughter understands and gets to practice being assertive? I love this. So first of all, great job knowing that it is very normal for that age to push and take things away, even if it's not super normal for her. Um, That being said, it is hard when your kid is on the gentler side of things and may need some help being more assertive. I have one of each. I have a bulldozer and I have one that always looks at me too. Like, why is this person touching me? What is happening? How do I tell them no? (laughs) So something I did when the girls were this age in particular, like that toddler preschool age, and I felt like I needed to give her some more tools is to go to her and say something like, If you're using it, you can say, I'm using it now. You can have it in two minutes and say this right in front of the other child, but directing at her or something like you can say, I don't like that. No pushing, please modeling for her what she could say. And I think modeling it for her directed at her in a way that's empowering with your proximity and support. And in my opinion, other kids and their parents pick up on that too, um, without you having to like awkwardly discipline somebody else's kid. Do you know what I'm saying? Because you stepping in for them is not necessarily solving the problem. And and from the sounds of it, you know that you want them to be able to um, assert themselves and, you know, speak up. So I think directing it to her and giving her some tools, but maybe loud enough for other parents and kids to hear is, is kind of the way that I go. So I hope that is helpful. All right, that is it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you have a discipline dilemma, parenting question, or a homeschool question in general that you'd like me to answer, feel free to email me at hellohomeschoolhood at gmail.com. And I promise I won't take as long as I did to respond to Catherine's. You can also connect with me and see some more content about our homeschool over on Instagram, where I am at Erica. As always, you can find the show notes for this episode with links to anything I mentioned in your podcast player, and I'd love to hear from you. So let's chat. Until next time, remember you are your child's first and most important teacher, and you've got this.